The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. This morning's scripture reading comes from the book of Acts, chapter 22, verses 1 through 22. Brothers and fathers, Hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, About noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Up to this word they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Thanks, John. 
Hi, my name's Stacy Croft. If I haven't met you, um, I'm the pastor here at Christ Presbyterian Church Music Row. Glad we can meet outside. Um, I always love these um, opportunities. And it is funny because now we know we're getting into the winter months because you, none of you are in the shade now. Everybody's in the sun. Uh, and we're all driving around with our windows down, right? As, uh, <laughs> as Chris was saying a minute ago. You know, um, <clears throat> one of the things that some of you have asked me before uh, about uh, what's it like being a pastor is, uh, what is that road to become a pastor? Um, what do you do, you know, aside from making fun of me and think jokes like, oh, yeah, you just work one day a week, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, like those kind of things. Like, what, what does it mean for you to, like, become ordained and go through that process? Well, there actually is, uh, there are quite a few uh, exams that we have to do, uh, a number of them, five, in fact, that are both oral and written, uh, as well as turning in Hebrew, uh, Greek papers, exams, all these kind of things that are part of it. I could pull up uh, the uh, book of church order that I have to know, uh, the church polity, um, sacraments, church history, Bible, theology, things that you might think of. But one of the things that actually we're um, tested on, I know this sounds funny, is called our Christian experience. That in front of uh, this, what's called the Presbytery, so in our region, you may, may or may not know this, I'm a part of what's called, we're a Presbyterian church. What that means is elder. The word presbyter just means elder. So we're governed by a group of elders. And I am uh, what's called a teaching elder in this. And we are made up of a local body. Uh, Chris, you stood up here, and we have others who are elders in our church. Uh, and then we also are part of a local regional area where there are a number of Presbyterian churches, and we meet regularly. And I had to stand up in front of this group when I was doing my exams, all of those oral exams, and give not only my, thought, my uh, answers to sacraments and Bible and theology, but my Christian experience. That is, how, how are you in a relationship to God. You know, it's one thing for me to talk about like all the, the theological answers I, I studied and studied and studied for weeks and um, on end for, you know, uh, my exams and uh, continued to try and keep up with those things. But it's another thing to like say, okay, this is my story. This is how the Lord Jesus came to me. And we get to see in Acts a, a really profound moment here where Paul, one of the most uh, <clears throat> important figures of the New Testament, a third of the New Testament, uh, that is the, the latter half is actually written by this person. And uh, last week we saw what was kind of leading up to this was that he, he was trying, he came to Jerusalem, Paul did, and he was trying to uh, talk about his ministry, and they were saying, hey, Paul, there's really kind of an issue right now that a lot of the Jewish people here, that some are coming to faith, but those that, that are not are really blaming you and thinking that you're not caring much for the law, and they're accusing you of not really caring for Judaism anymore, that you're just kind of throwing it out the window, and <clears throat> to, to prove them wrong, he, he goes into the temple and, and goes through a process of purity and, and takes up, and he is a Jew himself. And they find him afterwards. He leaves the temple after seven days, and they mob him, and they're talking about how they're going to, 
to, to what are they going to do with him? Are they going to kill him? Or what are they going to do? And this is the moment he says, hear my defense. Let me tell you who I am. And it's interesting of all the things that he says in verse one, he says, brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make for you. And we're going to talk about that. What kind of defense do you think he would make? What does he do? He shares his Christian experience. He shares the experience of not how great he is, but how Jesus came and sought him. And so we're going to look at this uh, passage in three very brief ways. We're going to look at connecting. How, how does Paul connect to the people he's speaking to? How does he share his sharing of his own experience, his own testimony of how God rescued him? And then how does he trust How is he trusting that God is actually at work using this? How does he know that? And and I want to encourage you, especially if you're here and you're kind of like, how do I I share my faith? What does it look like for me to actually share that? This is a master class of Paul giving us again his, his, his moment of his experience of connecting, sharing, and trusting of what does that mean to share the faith? In fact, it's such a big deal. This is the second of three times that Luke, the author of Acts, who also wrote, wrote the Gospel Luke, we've mentioned this before, but Luke wrote, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Luke, he wrote that as volume one. He wrote Acts as volume two. And in this, this he writes of Paul's testimony, his Christian experience, three different times. And to take up that much space in his volume two, it must be very important for us to understand not only how does Paul come to faith in Jesus, but how does he share it? So let's talk about the connecting, the sharing, and the trusting. You know, Paul was, as I mentioned, accused. He was attacked here. And he was attacked for defiling the temple. Specifically, the people in this passage thought, you have not only associated yourself with Gentiles, people who are not Jews, but you've actually brought them into the temple in a way that they are not supposed to. You're defiling it. And you're, and you're doing it in a way, you're saying that, that, that what we believe doesn't matter. And he, in an appropriate defense, says, I want to give a defense of saying, this is not true. <laughs> in fact, if you look at his speech, and John read it beautifully, and I really appreciated it, even his his enunciation of of the different moments. This actually is written in a pattern of perfect Greco-Roman rhetoric that Paul was really well-spoken and he could deliver a defense well. But here's that word that comes up, a defense. (laughs) Now, the word defense means apologia. It's a Greek word that we come with apologetics. I don't know if you've ever heard that word before, But often when Christians and people speak of apologetics, and I've studied it, I love it, it's really great, it comes with a lot of philosophy, depth of consistency and and understanding where someone's coming from, a lot of answers. And that's typically what we might think when Paul says, I'm going to give my defense. But here's what he does. Instead of giving a defense of, hey, here's how you're wrong, he gives a defense of, here's how... I'm just like you. Here's how I'm going to connect to you. And he even begins this way. He says, 
It says in verse 2, and when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. They're like, whoa. And, and Paul wouldn't have been using the Hebrew language in a way that maybe someone like me who would study it in seminary and would begin to talk about it or Aramaic and try and enunciate it and work at it and say words that might sound off or funny. Paul would say it beautifully and fluently with ease. And in that moment, they would have thought, whoa, why did they get quiet? Because this man actually is telling the truth. He knows not only Hebrew, he's speaking it with such a familiarity and love. He's connecting. What is he doing? He's building bridges to them. See, the defense of the gospel is, is not just having the answer for everything. It's building bridges to where they are. And if you notice throughout this passage, that is what Paul is doing. It's a somewhat of a pre-evangelism. It's, it's a, hey, let me step into your shoes for a moment. Listen to the million things he says. He, he starts off, he talks the Hebrew language. Then he, in verse three, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Sicilia but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are of this day. He talks about his heritage. He, I am a Jew. Here's where I was born, but soon brought up in this city. What city? Jerusalem, the epicenter of Judaism. He's brought up in that. He wants them to know that his ancestral history is that. And his defense isn't, doesn't just stop there. It, it continues. He begins by addressing him even further about his education that was excellent. <clears throat> he says, educated at the feet of Gamaliel. Now, when they heard that name, for us, we're like, okay, what is that? We need to do kind of a study of this person. But Gamaliel was one of the most well-known educators of that day. In fact, he was connected to the top pharisaical uh, <clears throat> and, and uh, Levitical um, school of that time. So if you wanted to go learn Judaism, if you wanted to know the ways of Judaism and the strict manner, and when he mentions that, the strict manner of the laws of our father, uh, he's talking about pharisaical study. And you know, when we think, hear pharisaical, you, you might, your ears and antennas may go up for the Pharisees in the New Testament. The Pharisees weren't the people, we, we typically look at them as like bad guys. They actually were the people trying to guard the law. So over and over when they're fighting with Jesus and they're arguing with him and you see them in the, in the New Testament, they're not like these cloaked people that are trying to hide and, and get around. They're actually the ones in the open. They're trying to, to thread the needle between, okay, how do we defend God's law and live in this world? They are, they are the people that are trying to be faithful. And, and Paul didn't just study to be a Pharisee. He studied under the Pharisee of Pharisees. But what he realizes, and you see this soon, even as he brings this up in verse four, he starts to talk about his own experience, him. He gets vulnerable with it. He says, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. As the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear with me witness. 
From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. He is saying, here's my rap sheet. In every way I was against them. In every way I was going against what was called the way. The way was actually what was the church. They weren't called Christians yet. In fact, Christian, the word Christian came about as a derogatory term from the Roman government. But they were called the way because they followed in the way of Jesus. And if there was anything, Paul was going against the way of Jesus. What he's trying to say is the way, which we all know of, that is to follow this Jesus, I was going against. In fact, the high priest that is in around this temple can attest to the fact that I was carrying letters in my hand to persecute and to continue doing the work of persecution against them. But Paul knows deeply. He knows and very well that he's not trying to build the bridge to them to say, look, here's where you're wrong and I'm right. He's trying to say, look, I'm just like you and maybe worse. Tim Keller, one of my favorite authors, thinkers of all time, and who passed away recently of cancer. Many of you may have heard of his name. He's a writer, thinker, pastor from New York City. He wrote a simple thing about defeaters and how you, you walk with people, how you build bridges. He was, he was marvelous at doing this in uh, particularly New York City, but thinking about, hey, if you're wanting to really share the gospel with people you, and to build bridges with where people are, he said this. He said, People may not have come into their position mainly by argument. So they can't really be removed from their position mainly by argument. In other words, most people aren't just coming to a spot just by argument. So why are we approaching people in such an argumentative stance? See what Paul does that's brilliant? He begins to say, hey, I was zealous, just like you, but maybe even more so. That word zeal wasn't just a word of emotion. It was connected to even what the zealots were like. The the Pharisees were one brand, but there was a group called the zealots that, that were a group that took up the law violently to fight against the Roman government. And you even see an element of this in Paul that he has decided, I'm gonna do this violently. This is where I was. This is where I was going. And he's connecting to them to say, this is my record. This is who I am. How much are we trying to connect to people just by our arguments? I think we live in such a divide. We always talk about it. I mean, this isn't a a new conversation, how divisive and divided our country is and how we are as people. We don't have a lot of conversations anymore about with two people that may disagree unless it's a, a contentious kind of thing. In fact, we, we try to avoid it. You hear it often. I hear it even now from my friends who are on campuses across not just the street, but across the country, where in college uh, classrooms, it's very difficult to even get students to discuss difficult things because there's such a difficulty of having anything that you disagree with become disagreeable. 
Paul is coming to us here and saying, how do you connect? How do you talk about something that may be hard and difficult? It's by building the bridges. It's a two-way thing. It's by saying, hey, how do, we, how do we join where people are? Not just say, hey, you're wrong, this is right. But to say, hey, this is how I'm just like you. This is where God had me. This is his Christian experience. And he, he goes on further, not just to connect, but to share with them. Get even more vulnerable in his story, if he could even before. He starts in verse 6, As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, at about noon a great light from heaven sh- suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You know, typically when we hear um, someone give a testimony, <laughs> when we, uh, we hear that and you hear that language, it can be a religious kind of thing. Sometimes it has a connotation to it of thinking that it's all about that person and their story, how bad they did this or how, what they did and, and uh, you know, raising up kind of their elements of their life, which is true. It does deal with their story. But I think it's interesting that especially here, Paul is highlighting not necessarily him. He moves quickly. Hey, here is how I'm like you and maybe even more so and more difficult. (laughs) But here is really the story of how God came to me. Here's how I was going one way and I was going so hard one way it was not going to take anything but God to come to me. You know, a conversion story that we talk about, this is Paul's conversion. And it's a different conversion that, than we would have. It's, it's a different one. It's, it's not ours. And, it, and, and it's for specifically God calling him to this ministry and calling him that way. But the risen Christ comes to him. And it's not just his experience. It would be one thing for him to move to, hey, here's my rap sheet, and then here's my experience. And that's the other thing that we can do easily is to say, well, this is what I feel. This is my experience. Well, here's my experience. But Paul doesn't just do that. He says, this wasn't just my experience. This is something that everyone experienced. And Paul does what Blaise Pascal, who was a great thinker and writer, said this. He said, he said men typically despise religion. They hate it and are afraid it may be true. And the cure for this is first to show that it is not contrary to reason, but worthy of reverence and respect. And then second, make it attractive. Make good women and men wish it were true. And then, number three, show that it is. And where does he go? How does he show that it is? Well, he he gives us this unique and wise conversion and this experience, not just in isolation, but what he saw. Notice there are a couple things here that happen. This light shines around him. In verse 9, it says, now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. Now, people were there. This experience that Paul had wasn't just something in isolation. It wasn't just him by himself in a cave or somewhere else, but he heard, they, others heard a sound, others saw a light, but it wasn't for them. It was for Paul and Paul alone. It was the Lord Jesus, the resurrected, supernatural work of God coming to Paul to bring him to himself. And here's the other thing that we know. 
the time of day. <clears throat> it would be easy to go, well, was it dark? Was it kind of an eclipse? You know, what, why? Was it nighttime? Were they traveling? At, but it says it was noon. And the light shone around. Verse 6. It shone around me. And so much so, so much brighter than, think about the sun right now. If we were to look at the sun, you can't look at the sun because your eyes physically can't take in that light because you're not supposed to look at it that way because the way our eyes are designed, it would literally burn within our eyes. We'd lose our vision. But what Paul's saying, something brighter than the sun, and it's perfect that we're outside for this illustration, came directly on Paul, so bright that the other people around us saw this light and they acknowledged it, but it didn't blind them like it did him. It landed on his eyes, and think about something brighter than the sun shining into his eyes and blinding him in that moment, capturing him, specifically for him. Why blindness? Well, first, it was, the, it was to show us that this time of day, and a, a, a day like this one, that the light comes, that it wasn't some sort of out of the ordinary kind of light. It was specifically for Paul and to outshine the sun itself. But second, blindness is a very, very, very keen Old Testament way of God saying he's bringing people that are in blindness, groping around in the darkness to his glorious light. In fact, Deuteronomy 28, 28, and 29 talks about one of the curses of the relationship that is broken with God is blindness. And it even talks about at noonday that they would grope around looking. That Paul himself has this light that falls on him to carry out God's relationship because his sight is a picture of the Old Testament of, of, of not seeing God. It's that blindness. It's like we sing when, in Amazing Grace, right? I once was blind, but now I see. It's a metaphor, but it really is the reality of, of what is God wanting us to know? That he brings him to himself so that he can see. His experience wasn't just a light on him. It was that God was getting his attention and bringing him to himself. That he would not see anything else except for who Jesus is. And I think the next thing that's powerful is, is this, is verse 8. After he says, Saul, this voice from heaven, verse 7, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise, go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. Why the sudden change? You know, this man who's persecuting the way, why would he change? What would divert him? He's on his way. He has the letters. He's taking his stance against the way and Jesus himself. And then God comes to him in a sudden turn. And, and in fact, in some ways, it's sudden but also gradual. Later in Acts 26, we're going to read of his Christian experience again, the third time he talks about it. And he says that there's a goading 
He says, you know, he says in Acts 36, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. <laughs> you know what a goad is? A goad is a sharp stick that's used to move cattle. And Paul's trying to say, it's hard to kick against the gospel. In other words, what he's getting at here is that the sudden change in him is saying that he is persecuting in the way. Why would he change so hard to follow Jesus? Why follow him? Being this strict in the law, this understanding of as a Pharisee, and now follow Christ? Here's the thing. You have to deal with Jesus. This is one of the most simple things from this. You and I have to deal with who Jesus is. Who is he? Is Jesus just someone who is a great figure for us to follow that we kind of hope gives us a good pattern in life? Or does he come to people like Paul, who can you imagine, Luke was an interviewer, and he would go to people like Paul and others and ask them questions about their life and, and learn about how, to, how they lived it. He heard over and over, and, and Luke writes three times about him persecuting and killing and imprisoning people for following this Jesus. And now he turns to follow him? The simple question is, Jesus is there. Jesus comes. What do we do with him? Do you follow him? You have to deal with him on some level. You have to decide, you have to look at him and say, you know, I'm, I'm going to follow you or not. <laughs> he could have said in any moment, why are you, he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? Who are you, Lord? Who are you? I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Paul vulnerably shares even further down in this about how Ananias would come a devout man according to the law. Notice, he continues to connect to the Jewish people by saying, here's a devout one according to the law. It, that Ananias wasn't just somebody who was randomly out here, but another person who confirms Paul's testimony and his witness because his experience isn't just his own. It's a part of the whole. The church isn't just a body of people who decide individually and say, you know, I think Jesus is great, so I'm going to be a part of this. The church is actually what the church means, the ecclesia, the called out ones, are the people who, who we, we have to deal with them. He's the one who's come to us. It's not about our story so much, but that how Jesus infiltrates into ours and says, you know what? You're going against me in every single way, and yet I'm going to use you to speak for me. 
How often do we put ourselves in a position of, and, and even if we grew up and we and, and have that glorious story of, I never knew a day when I didn't know Jesus. <laughs> That's awesome. But there's also a point when you have to say, is Jesus real? Is he really who he says he is? Or is he just somebody we just kind of talk about? Is his work and his picture brighter than the sun itself, then I keep getting these visions of when we had the eclipse here in Nashville. And I, all I could do is you had to wear these sunglasses even to look at the sun to make it so small and so infinitesimal so you could actually see part of the eclipse itself without burning a hole in your eyeball. And yet Jesus coming in the middle of the day to rescue and to turn Paul to speak the good news of the gospel so that he would turn him to proclaim this good news to the Gentiles, to send him out. That Ananias would come and he would rise, Paul would rise and be baptized. It's amazing to think about, this is Paul's Christian experience. We have to ask, what is ours? You know, when I come to a table like this and I mention about experience, it's easy to look at this table and think for a moment that we can come to this table trusting in any way on our own power. At the end of this passage, it's pretty vulnerable even more so if it hasn't already been that way. It ends with Paul discussing about what his time in the temple was like. He talks to all these Jewish people and says, I was in the temple and the Lord in a trance came to me. He came to me and said, you need to leave here. They're not going to accept this. Now, he didn't say that to Paul because he didn't think anybody was going to become a follower of his. <laughs> Don't read into that. Remember, right before this, there had already been waves of people in Jerusalem who were becoming followers of Christ. He was saying this to Paul to say, this is not for you to do. And he even goes to the place where he reminds him that Stephen, the one that Paul stood by and watched get murdered in front of him for the gospel's sake, for his sake, and yet now Paul is preaching that same gospel. The ones in whom he persecuted, now he is being persecuted by. This table is profound because it means that we're trusting something that is a lot bigger than what we think it is. It's not just about us and our, our, our story of, did I just decide to follow Jesus? This is about God putting himself in the place of persecution so that you might be brought to him. Did you notice that when he comes to Paul, he says, why are you persecuting me? He doesn't say, why are you persecuting them? That Jesus so unites himself to his people that his body and blood that you taste through this juice and cracker are a picture of him saying, you are mine and I am yours. There is no amount of you separating yourself from me, that your story, that Christian experience is not just something you feel, it's something that's done.
to live, to die, and to rise again. 